Today I'm eager to be in here and I'm enthusiastic. Called to this message, we're in Psalm 33. So I have the question we'll open up with. Are you an enthusiastic worshiper? And what is that? Well, I've been sharing the pulpit time. Now I'm going to just share some of my preaching time. I want to ask you, what does enthusiastic worship look like? And the camera guy is going to do the best he can to follow with me here. So uh, I'm going to walk down. I'm going to ask Herb. He, he led worship here for many, many years. What is an enthusiastic worshiper? An excited one. An exciting one. It's good. And this man is exciting. What's an enthusiastic worshiper? Uh, a worshiper that uh, is all in for, for worshiping. And... All in. All in. Let me get a lady here. I'm going to ask Joyce. She's got her head down because she doesn't want me to call on her. Uh, <laughs> but once in a while, I do call on her to speak for me. Yeah. Uh, an enthusiastic person, else they can't be uh, enthusiastic. Okay. And th- yeah. What would an elementary school teacher say about using the word in the definition? All right, I'm going to ask. Here I would you say a, a passionate worshiper. A Someone passionate that, worshiper. Yes, sir. That's just feels the spirit and yeah yeah it's good none of these were prepped by the way i thought about it i said no i want to make this as generous as possible I, d let me just say when you lead with the uh, the sign language during songs you do that with enthusiasm and passion but explain to us what you believe an enthusiastic worshiper is joyful joyful and it's just exuberant it just how about you carolyn uh you knew it <laughs> I think someone who um, shows up with joy on their heart and just ready to receive the Lord. That's good. we got lots of definitions for it, but they seem to be going in the same place. So I want us to understand from Psalm 33 really what an enthusiastic worshiper is. Because if we're called to do that, to be an enthusiastic worshiper, what does that look like? And so, and you have to evaluate yourself, were you enthusiastic in your worship today? Hopefully so. Will you be enthusiastic in your worship tomorrow? Worship is not a time and a place. Worship is a lifestyle that we live as worshipers here. Psalm 33 is going to open up some thoughts to us. I want you to notice, uh, if you're taking notes on the back of your handout, uh, we'll kind of walk through this. But enthusiastic worship is external. It's not exclusively external. We'll talk about the internal reality of enthusiastic worship in a moment. But it's external according to the first couple of verses here. Look at uh, the, the several words here in, in verse 1 through 4, or 1 through 3. There's shout, there's thanks, there's sing, there's play. Well, let's read through this and see kind of what this looks like in enthusiastic worship that is external. Shout for joy. Ah, someone mentioned that joy in just a moment ago. Shout for joy in the Lord. O you righteous, praise befits the upright. And then it says, give thanks. Well, what does that look like according to the Scriptures here? Give thanks to the Lord. Well, well, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this food. Thank you for our day. No, it's using uh, uh, motion here. It says, give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to Him with the harp of ten strings. There is activity in thanksgiving. It's not just a heart condition, though it is. Show me. I lived in Missouri for a while. That's the whole uh, state motto, show me. Well, giving thanks is a a showing of what that means to you. And they're making music for the thanksgiving. Uh, It says, sing to him a new song. 
And, and I was looking at various definitions of that because obviously in the, the plain reading of the text, it's that you're going to sing something brand new. And certainly that is inclusive. It ought to be fresh. How do we express our love and praise to God in our generation? But sometimes even a new song could just be a fresh heart expression of an old song or an old thought. There are times that, that, that we'll sing something over and over again and it just becomes road and we don't even pay attention anymore. But then something happens in our lives or, or the Spirit grips us in such a way. It may be an older song, but boy, we're seeing it with fresh eyes. We're, we're, we're sensing it with, with a fresh spirit with the Lord. And so part of this external praise to God, this, this enthusiastic worship, is that we sing to Him a new song. When you talk about your testimony, Somebody tells me, you know, tell me your testimony. Oftentimes, we think back to the moment in time we we gave our life to Christ, which is certainly relevant. But my salvation was 30 plus years ago. Is there something fresh that I can testify about today? Has the Lord been working in my life right now that I could tell people about? Absolutely. And so when we sing him to, to him a new song, we're testifying the freshness of God's relationship in our lives. And then you notice in the rest of verse 3, play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. You don't come to worship haphazardly. You notice the skill here. They're playing, but they came prepared. I want to give him excellence. And you know what? Excellence is based on your ability. You know, when, a, when a, an adult comes and, and, and they share their skills, maybe they've been doing a craft of, of playing the violin for, for 30 years, and they bring such an excellence to it. But a, but a 10-year-old who's taken 12 lessons that comes, it won't be to the quality, but they're going to give their best. They're going to play with the skills that they have, and you appreciate that. When we worship the Lord, it's not based on someone else's worship compared to ours. It's are we giving our best externally, giving Him our praise, shouting, thanksgiving, singing, playing. Now, the dictionary definition of enthusiasm or enthusiastic is having or showing intense and eager enjoyment, interest, or approval. That's a great definition of enthusiasm. But I want you to, to step back and understand the word enthusiasm comes from the Greek word in theos. Theos is God. The, the base understanding, the base root understanding of enthusiasm is God in you. In God. God in, in you. When God takes up residence in your life, your enthusiasm is much different. People can gather in lots of places and sing some songs. They can cheer on a team. They can, they can cheer on, you know, somebody who's performing something. But when God takes over your life and you begin to think about Him, you do it differently. You don't just go through the motions. God has taken up residence in you. He has saved you from hell. We are free uh, from the, the power of sin. Though we deal with the presence of it still, we are uh, freed from, from being in bondage anymore. And our enthusiasm of worship is because God resides in us and we're going to do it with all of ourselves. We're going to be all in. We're going to be passionate. We're going to be joyful. Because God has taken over my life. And every day when I wake up, if I still have breath to breathe, if I still have a purpose to live for, another day, another opportunity, I'm going to live enthusiastically. 
possessed by God, inspired, when we worship, we are really revealing our heart's desire for the God who indwells us when we trust in Him. You should change your worship. You can't just come check the box. I went to worship. Yeah, but did you worship? I had my morning devotions, but did you worship? I lived out my day, but did you worship? Did we live as a worshiper, shouting, thanking, singing, playing, and giving all of ourselves to the Lord? Let me give you three reasons what I see in the text here as we walk through it of, of why it's even possible how we're enabled to worship enthusiastically. Because uh, let's be honest, we're not always that excited about life. Life can beat us down. Frustrations happen. You might have an excellent Sunday, but then Monday morning happens. The car doesn't start. You got a flat tire. The kids are crying. You know, I understand when you have to dress a one-year-old, but when your 12-year-old still doesn't want to get, you know, a shower and, and get their clothes on in time, you know, it just, those things happen. And your enthusiasm gets kind of squelched. So we've got to reposition our mind to understand what makes it possible to be enthusiastic as a worshiper all the time. The first one you're going to see is this. God speaks because he has a powerful word. We go back to the word of God to always shape our minds so we know how to act. In verse 4, you're going to see, for the word of the Lord. So you notice this phrase, the word of the Lord. Down in verse 6, the word of the Lord. Down in verse 9, he spoke and also he commanded. So you see this section is really focused on what God says is powerful. Always go back for your enthusiasm to understand God and what he's doing. Go back to his word. Verse 4, for the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. His love, uh, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. You notice his word is morally powerful. It matters what takes place. He loves righteousness. He loves justice. What he says is done with faithfulness, and he does it out of love. In verse 6, he says it again, but the word of the Lord, uh, or by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. I mean, all creation came and God speaking. There was nothing. He said, then let there be light. The heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. Verse 7, he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. I mean, he can just say, stop moving, and all the waters can, can stop. He puts the deeps in the storehouse, or the depths in the storehouses. His word is magnificently powerful. I mean, all of creation comes about because he speaks. So do we trust his word? You want to be enthusiastic? Watch something of a miracle when God speaks. Wow. You stand in awe. Sometimes you don't know what to say. Or you shout praise to him. Well, I want you to notice in verse 8, it says to let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. There's a majesticness to his powerful word. His word is majestically powerful. When he speaks, we stand back in awe. That's why we ought to do a lot more praying than doing. And it's not the exclusion of doing. But don't do before you pray. It says in the scriptures that we ought to pray and then watch. Let's ask God what he will do in his will and his word and his power. 
and we'd be far more amazed than the little efforts that we put towards something. You want to be enthusiastic about your worship? Watch what God does when you ask him. He can do far more abundantly than all we can ask or imagine. You notice in verse 9, he goes on with this speaking. For he spoke and it came to be. God doesn't have to, to, to wonder, hey, would you get me something? Because I don't know how to create something. No, he just speaks. And it comes to be. He commanded and it stands firm. His word is immovably powerful. Whatever he says happens. One of the things in our lives and how we sometimes struggle to know what to do is because we don't know where to look. And sometimes we don't look at the word. Sometimes we do, and then we're not sure how to interpret it. Um, we've had a few students here who've become pilots. How many of you are pilots today? Anybody got a pilot's license? Not a soul. Oh, no, we got two. Oh, you're here. I didn't see you. Good. So you understand this. All right. If, if uh, it's a, a stormy day and you're out flying your plane and you've got, you know, 12 souls or 150 souls behind you and you can't see anything out that window, what do you depend on? Alex, what do you depend on? I could walk down there, but just shout it out. What do you depend on to know if you're going in the direction you need to go? You have instruments in front of you. It doesn't matter what's happening outside the window. Certainly you'll look. But the instruments guide you when, in a sense, you are flying by faith and not by sight. When God speaks to us, there are times in our lives that you can't see what's happening. You don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know, understand the storms. It's just raining. It's too foggy. It's too dim. It's just like, you know, you're blinded. Maybe the, the tears in your eyes have, have just wiped out any clear vision. Where do you go? What, are you, what is your instrument that you're clinging on to to know what to do? Well, it's the Word of God that's always right that's always powerful, it's always glorious. Don't lean on your own wisdom like the day of judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And you see the results, even in our own day. Increased uh, uh, alcohol and drug abuse, uh, increased uh, promiscuity, perversion, corruption, selfishness, depression. When we do what's right in our own eyes... The world argues convincingly for a way that seems right. But when you ignore God's unchanging standard, the instrument of truth, it only leads to death is what the Scriptures tell us. So much of this section you'll see, as we've read, speaks of God as the Creator. He speaks and it becomes. But it's fascinating to me in this entire section, if you look really closely at the word Lord in your translation, is it lowercase or uppercase for all four letters? That's his name. He could have used, the, the psalmist could have used Lord, big L, little O, R, D, uh, and, and talking about Elohim, which is the plural uh, uh, form of God's name, which speaks of his, him as a creator. This whole thing seems to be about creation, but he does not use the phrase Elohim here, though he speaks about creation. He uses the, the term uh, Jehovah or Yahweh, his name, the one who speaks. 
Because God is the God who speaks. He has created and he's still making new creations. But it's the God who is powerful, the God who reveals. He speaks. The writer desires for you to see that God has spoken and has revealed himself. And his powerful word should drive us to worship enthusiastically for this revealed God. God speaks. He has a powerful word. I want you to look at the next part here in verse 10 where God plans His perfect plans. His perfect plans are better than any nation's plans is what you're going to see. In verse 10, the Lord brings the counsel, the plans of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. But verse 11, the counsel of the Lord The plans of the Lord, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. What God plans to do will always happen in His divine ways. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom He has uh, has chosen as His heritage. Perfect plans are always better than any nation's plans. We make our plans, but God has His ways. When He brings the plans of the nations to nothing, He frustrates those plans, it's because He always has a better plan. People get together and make plans on a national or international scale, and even a local scale, and sometimes they don't always work out. But God never is frustrated by his own plans. You can't frustrate the plans of God. You may be frustrated because God doesn't follow your suggestions. I've certainly been there. God, I prayed for this. I asked for that. I planned this. I ask you to bless my plans. And he just told me, be blessed in my plans and you'll understand my ways. When we look at God's word, I want you to understand that that God plans And his plans are always perfect. It doesn't always make sense to us. We live in a a world where we have our ideals, our expectations, the things that we prefer. But when we know the Lord, we can still be very enthusiastic when our plans fail, but God's never does. And notice here it talks about the frustrated nations. Their plans don't always work out. Nations rise and nations fall. Versus a blessed nation. No doubt the psalmist is writing here specifically about Israel, uh, uh, the, the people of God of the Old Testament. You know, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. He's speaking right together, right there of, of, uh, of Israel. But throughout the Scripture... It is not uncommon to find verses that tell you that any nation who will honor the Lord will be blessed. No nation is perfect. No nation has got it all together. No nation fully uh, embraces God. And in our nation, ourselves, I'm thankful for the the Christian freedoms that we have here. But we're not a Christian nation uh, as a a foundation or even as our current practice. We have had some godly people in our past who established some things that were helpful, but we were not perfect. But I understand this, that any nation who will stop rejecting the Lord, putting a middle finger to his face, 
When we say, we don't care about what you say, we'll do what we desire. You will never be blessed by the Lord. I'm thankful for the seasons. It hasn't been too many over the, the many history, uh, years of history we've had in our nation, but there have been seasons when there have been revivals that have swept our nation and the hearts of our leaders and the hearts of our, our citizens were much different. Brothers and sisters, that's not today. And fa- the Father is not pleased when, when even the church goes silent and we don't live as righteously as we were called to even in verse 1. Shout, all you righteous. Well, where are the righteous? But I'm convinced that when the remnant of God's church will live out enthusiastically and trust the Lord regardless of the winds and the waves, and we get on our knees and we pray for God to intervene in our nation and in our world, God will answer in His time. Rather than sitting back and just complaining about what was, Or what is, why not start celebrating the God who is and can do something about it? Why not have a heart of love to express to those who are desperately needing Christ but are rejecting Him, just pray for them and then share the gospel of hope with them. Now is the time to live out our faith out loud. Perhaps we ought to be shouting in the streets the glorious God that we we celebrate. Don't let what happens in here stay in here. You know, there are times you go into meetings that go, hey, what's done in here stays here. You know, and of course, the commercial from Las Vegas. I graduated high school in Las Vegas, Nevada. I understand the commercials. Hey, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Listen, let it never be said, what happens in the church stays in the church. We are gathering in a huddle, preparing for the play. If you understand football terminology, why do people huddle together? It's not so they pray that the clock will go down. It's that let's prepare for the next movement. This is what Sunday is. We celebrate our God. We gather together in our huddle, and then we go out, and the six days of the week, we celebrate and we communicate the great God who loves these people, but they are heading towards hell if they don't understand the forgiveness of Christ. Let's do that with enthusiasm. We live as worshipers. Enthusiasm. Enthusiastic. In theos. God within. Well, if God is with you on Monday through Saturday, what are you doing enthusiastically to worship Him out loud? God's Word is powerful. He speaks. God's plans are perfect. I want you to see this last part here in in, uh, in verse uh, 13. God sees He has protective love. Look at verse 13. The Lord looks down from heaven. He is not unaware of your life or what's happening in our nation and our world. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. Verse 14, from where he sits enthroned, he looks out. And all the inhabitants of the earth, is there anybody excluded here? Is there anybody in the corner of the world that God cannot see? Nobody. You can't hide under your bed. You can't hide in a rock. You can't go to a cave. You can't hide in the middle of the woods. Every breathing soul in the planet is seen by God, even when they don't see Him. God is a caring creator. It says, He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. There's nothing hidden from God. So he sees you. 
He knows you. I see God has a protective love for the entire community. God loves your neighbor. Do you love your neighbor? God loves those coworkers. Do you love your coworkers? God sees. He knows. He loves. God protects and he understands our conduct. He, he sees it all. But I want you to notice here that you're going to see some conflicts that must be arising. God's the one who sees when the king is not saved by his great army. And a warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot be, uh, cannot rescue. He sees all. And there are times when we have our armies and we have our horses and we have our bank accounts and we have uh, what we think are padded uh, uh, protections from all life's calamities and it's not good enough and God sees that. Some trust in horses and some trust in chariots. But the people of God who are enthusiastic have God in them. Trust in the name of the Lord our God. Behold, in verse, 17, or verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love. I want you to see there's a protective love here. He'd already mentioned earlier in the text that, um, where was that, in verse, um, verse four, uh, 5, the steadfast love of the Lord. And then later, he's given us the same phrases here, that there's a steadfast love of the Lord in verse 18. He concludes in verse 22, let your steadfast love, O Lord. There is a love that permeates all of life. And in the situations you're in, I love that he, the psalmist has chosen to write about the difficulties here in the midst of calling us to enthusiastic worship. Sometimes, because of life's challenges, struggles, all the protections we thought we had fell out and we are left uh, uh, with no protections and we're like, what do we do? And you don't feel like worshiping. You don't feel any hope. You don't feel any movement. Let, Let me encourage you, by the way, never be led by your feelings. Feelings are a gift from God. God is a very uh, uh, feeling-oriented God, but He's not driven by His feelings. He's driven by truth. In the Scriptures, it's very clear, it tells us to change your mind. Repent, change your mind. It never says change your feelings. It also says that we need to obey. We need to do. So the command to do and the command to change your mind are the two bookends of our lives that we can change. I can change what I think because I see it in the Word, and I can change what I do because I have the ability to get up and do something. But I can't change my feelings. So when my feelings are bringing me down and I don't feel like it, what should I do? Change my thinking and then get off my patterned potential and begin to move. Motion can create emotion. How many of you know you need to do a little more exercise than you currently do? How many of you been at the end of a day going, you know, I should take a walk, but, you know, I don't feel like it? We have these conversations at my house once in a while, and since the time I was in the hospital, the doctor said, you need to be a little more physically active. I get to the end of my day going, oh, I don't feel like walking. 
But then I hear that doctor kind of speaking to my ear, and I, I hear the Lord saying, I gave you a body, and, and you are, you know, um, whatever age you are, I won't tell you. My hair is older than my, my age, really. But I go, I don't feel like it, but I'm going to get up and go. And, you know, it's helpful when you can track the steps because then it makes you feel like you did something. And about halfway through my walk, however long I go, I go, you know, I'm starting to feel better. I'm glad I did this. I was kind of dra- you know, dra- uh, dragging and, and a little droggy before, but now I feel like I've got a little more energy. I feel differently because I moved. I changed the way I thought, and I just began to move, and my motion created a different emotion. This is the problem so often with enthusiastic worship. We act like we got to wait till a feeling happens before we can worship. And that's the exact opposite of what God says. I've already done something for you. Change the way you think. Get up and move. And I'm going to do something in you. And your feelings will be great followers that you'll get a blessing from. Feelings can never be leaders, but they're wonderful followers. So if I sit on my couch and do nothing and, and eat bonbons and watch depressing shows, I'll stay in that, 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 that mode. And you keep feeding that. And you wonder why nothing ever changes. And God's already said, I speak and things happen. Listen to my words when I speak into your life and see what happens. You begin to move, and you begin to think, and you begin to do something differently. You know, you begin to go help a neighbor versus just sit down and think about how bad your life is. You begin to help children understand the gospel so so they don't have to live a life of depression and and, and uncertainty. You begin to help other family members because they continue to struggle, and you go, yeah, 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 they gossip all the time, and they're always complaining about stuff. Why don't you intersect right in the middle of that? Why don't we just pray about that issue so you won't have that anymore? We begin to think and do something differently. This is enthusiasm. This is God in us beginning to shake us up so we do something differently outside of us. I want you to look at the last few verses here and then we'll, we'll conclude. I talked about worship, enthusiastic work of being external, but it's also internal. I want you to note, well, let me not miss verse 19. It says that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. I don't want you to miss that. God's love sees where you are. Even when you're close to death, even when you're in the middle of a famine, God is the one who will sustain you when you love him and depend upon him. So how does this happen? I want you to look at the internal enthusiastic worship. Our soul, in verse 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. The first thing you're going to see what happens internally in you to begin make help you feel differently is that you learn to wait. Salvation helps us to wait for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. Waiting is an internal battle or it's an inter- internal rest. Oh God, you don't want me to try to make everything happen. I can, I can walk and step with you and wait for you to bring the answer. Wait, wait for you to bring the solution to the situation. An internal enthusiastic worship in verse 21 is that there's a trusting with happiness. For our heart is glad in him. Even when our circumstances are not so joyful, our heart internally can be enthusiastic about the Lord. We're glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. And then verse 22, let your steadfast love, O Lord. I mean, 
Focus on the Lord's love for you even when you're unloving and unlovable. Every one of us have those times when things are going and and we're not the easiest person to get along with, but God, in spite of us, still loves us. And his steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. This enthusiastic worship is internal. It waits, it trusts, it hopes. Therefore, even though there are days we can't always shout, maybe we're not always thankful externally, maybe we're not uh, singing or playing anything, you can really judge your enthusiasm by what's happening here. Are you willing to wait on the Lord? Are you willing to to trust Him? Are you hopeful in Him and not any other external uh, things? We can wait on the Lord. Because he was willing to wait for us. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, I want you to hear this word. Some of you, God is still waiting for. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach or come to repentance. A believer in Christ can wait on the Lord An unbeliever, someone who's never turned their life over to Christ, I want you to understand the Lord is waiting on you. He's offered the invitation. He he has given Christ's death, burial, and rose him from the dead so that you could come to faith and understand what enthusiastic worship looks like and hope looks like for eternity. The greatest joy you'll ever experience on this earth is the joy of salvation. Does anybody agree with that? Our only hope of salvation and eternal life is Jesus Christ. And if you wanted to trust Jesus today, you could do so in an instant. You don't sit back and go, I wonder, I wait, I don't know. You say yes to the Lord and He will cleanse you and then He'll begin to walk with you to teach you what it means to follow Him. When He walked up to the disciples in the first century, and they weren't disciples yet, they were just men, fishermen, tax collectors. He'd walk up to them and say, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Your only responsibility was to follow. He would do all the work in you. And he would create something in you you could never create in yourself. And you would find more joy in this world with him than you would ever find anywhere else. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment. Close out in prayer. For some of you, you needed this message just to remind you of your great God that you're enthusiastic about. But some of you perhaps have never truly surrendered your life to Christ. If you wanted to trust Jesus today, I want you to just, I want you to listen to a prayer. It's not a magical prayer. I don't want you to, you know, think these words are exactly what I've got to say. Just some words that millions of people have said in some form or fashion. And you could just simply pray this in your own mind and in your heart to the Lord. Lord, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need you as my Savior. And I invite you to be my Savior today. Please forgive me. And help me to receive your powerful word. Trust your perfect plan. And embrace your perfect, protective love. 